Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast, which explores the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy books through those who bring them to life. Every other week, we chat with authors and industry pros about their books, including new releases and old favorites. I'm Lauren, and this is episode 32, where I chat with best-selling author Lee Bardugo. I love Lee so much. She is always a delight to chat with, and this conversation was no exception. I really wanted her on the podcast because next week her first adult book comes out. It is called Ninth House, and it is a complete new world, new characters, new magic, everything. It's a lot grittier than her Grisha series, and I wanted to pick her brain on what it was like to switch from this YA series that she has kind of lived in for a while and how, you know, how it was for her transitioning into a new world, how she got there. Uh, and what this journey's been like for her. So she talks about that. It's really cool to hear, you know, how this story came to be, why she waited till now to publish it. It's something she's been thinking about basically since college, because she went to Yale and she got to see the secret societies firsthand. So it's really neat to hear kind of the development of this story. Also, this is a really deep conversation. We kind of go to a vulnerable place where we're talking about being real online, about being vulnerable, about, you know, being that showing those parts of yourselves that aren't just picture perfect all the time. Uh, we talk about ritual and self-care and about loving yourself and body positivity. Uh, it, it's a really good conversation. Actually, we hit the ground running. I actually inserted um, a chunk of this part of the conversation about halfway through the podcast. I have to put in what we talked about at the beginning in. So there is a little gap um, you'll hear, and I, I, I mention it in the podcast, but don't be surprised when you hear that. I just couldn't leave it out, and um, so I stuck it in at the appropriate place. But it's really just real about what you know, what it's like being people who aren't perfect and are professional creatives and have to be in the world and what we struggle with. So it's really great. Um, we recorded this in early August, and it is early October right now. It's the week before the book comes out. So a few things that we uh, are hinting at in this podcast have already been revealed. One of the things we talk about is um, we go we, we talk a little bit about the Netflix show. She's got a Netflix series coming out. It's the Grisha World. It's kind of a combination of Shadow and Bone and a prequel to Six of Crows kind of at the same time. Since this has been recorded, uh, I think it was like yesterday, there was a photo of the cast and we find out that like Ben Barnes is the Darkling and I'm losing my freaking mind because he's like perfect. Oh my gosh. And he is, oh, he's so super attractive. He's a super broody dude. He's a great actor. I think he's going to do a great job. And the rest of the cast, you can just look at them and see how they're going to represent these characters that people love. And I'm really stoked to see, um, get more information as, as things are able to be released. So, but yeah, Lee talks, we have a nice chat about the Netflix series. And for someone who says she can't talk a lot about it, she, she talks more about her personal, you know, what it was like experiencing this to see that, to have an author, you know, be uh, an executive producer on this television show and what it was like to see elements of the story come to life. So it's a really great chat. Um, on my end, I just got back from my five-week trip. I was in Cyprus and Greece. I photographed a wedding for a good friend in Greece, and it was amazing. Uh, it was just, I mean, everything the Mediterranean, you know, in, is envisioned to be, it was. It was a beautiful, Cyprus was just like this kind of beachy vibe, and the water was incredible, and I was near Aphrodite's rock, so it was just, oh, you know, just bliss. And then, you know, Greece, uh, the, the wedding was on Santorini and it is literally the iconic like Greek island photo with the 
blue domed churches like that was the island they got married on so it was just a magical trip and um, while I was away I did something that was a really big deal for me I finally launched a Patreon for the podcast it was really scary I have something I've put off for a while but if you would want to check it out I would be so happy there are four different tiers the first one starts at one dollar per episode and I'm doing two episodes a month basically every other week I'm releasing an episode so it's a really inexpensive way to support this podcast I would love your support because I you know I'm doing this completely out of my own pocket I've been interviewing these authors for over a decade and it's a lot of time to prep for them to interview them and to um, you know edit the podcast get it live so it would be great to kind of get to a point where I can either outsource the editing or, you know, cover my time with that. But because I really love talking to these authors, I love bringing this content to people. This is something that I value in my life. I've do, been doing it for so long, and there's a reason for that. It's, it is joyful for me to pick the brains of these authors to hear what they have to say about these stories that we read and we love and and how they came to be and so the the patreon is a way to help me continue to be able to do this um you know please check it out see if any of the tiers appeal to you i've got a couple of cool um rewards on there i'm actually going to be launching a youtube channel where i'm i'm reviewing older books and i'll be happy to take recommendations from my patreon people and i actually have a bunch of old um, back stock of like arcs and swag that I'm gonna give away to the highest tier. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of fun things involved. But again, it's just a great way to support a podcast. And if you are a fan of this podcast, if you like what you hear, please consider uh, checking out the Patreon and possibly donating. So yeah, so that's what I've been up to. I'm back to the grind now. My mom and I are going away for a couple days to Niagara Falls for like a fall getaway. Um, My mom travels with my dad a lot, but she never kind of gets to do her own trip. So she and I are going to go for a couple days. It'll be really fun. And then I'm here. I'm just back in the routine. I'm going to be bringing you some really cool content. I definitely have... Um, I have a couple authors I've interviewed that are ready to go and one of the upcoming ones that I'm really excited about is Garth Nix. I love that dude. His books are so awesome and um, he was in my author calendar so I luckily had you know was able to spend some time with him and hang out with him a bit but he's got this brand new series coming out and it's really really cool. The book is amazing. It's called Angel Mage and um, yeah if you're if you're into Garth's writing he's it's lyrical just like his all of his stuff is Um, it's a wonderfully complex fantasy and uh, it's just it was so fun to read basically it's a combination of like three musketeers meets angelic like icon magic meets like girl power (laughs) basically that's the best way to summarize it uh so that's what I've been reading um I there's I'm also you know enjoying reading some of the Jacoby books, which I'm finishing. There's a bunch of those I've been reading. What else have I been reading? Um, I've read the occasional, like, you know, romance. And I think I'm reading, what am I reading right now? Hold on. Let me pull up my, let me pull up my, my Goodreads. Uh, What am I reading? I just got a new phone too, so I can't find anything. I am reading a really fun historical romance called The Perks of Loving a Scoundrel by Jennifer McQuiston. So uh, it's been really fun. It was really fun too. On this trip, um, the girl who got married is in publishing. And so there were a lot of publishing people there. And we just gushed books and t- 
talked books and it was really cool to hear about all the different jobs. These are people who are on all different levels. There's marketing, there's publicity. There was someone who kind of helps manage and is like almost like a producer. She has like all the different cogs and it was really cool to, um, (laughs) to hear book recommendations, see what people were reading. So I've got a lot of fun books on my to be read pile that will hopefully be coming up soon. But yeah, so the recent books I've read are, you know, Digging into Ninth House and of course, Angel Mage, which was incredible and I definitely recommend. And yeah, if you follow us uh, on, you can follow us on iTunes, we're on Spotify and we're also on SoundCloud is where we're hosted. You can keep your eyes peeled because the Garth Nix interview is coming up soon. And I'm in talks with a couple other really cool authors that I don't want to mention until I've locked them down yet, but I am, I'm, I'm feeling good that we're going to get some really cool voices for you guys. Some really fun uh, fantasy sci-fi people coming up. So, all right. So now on to the interview with Lee and I hope you enjoyed. It was such a good chat and uh, thanks again for listening. Hi Lee, welcome to the Ink Feather podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to finally be able to talk to you. I was thinking back on our relationship of knowing each other and the interviews we've done over the years. And I realized I haven't actually done a proper interview with you, I think, since before Six of Crows. So it's been a while Um, since, I mean, I've seen you since then. We, you know, you modeled for my photo shoot for my calendar, which is still one of my all-time favorite photos that I've ever taken. It is definitely one of my favorite photos that's ever been taken of me. And the only one that involves a falcon. So yeah, there you go. Banshee. She was the best. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good day. And then I've seen you on tour and various events and stuff. But yeah, I've been, I don't know, I've been thinking back when I was prepping for this. I've been thinking back about the, the journey, the evolution of, you know, creativity relationships. Because um, again, I've been reflecting on our particular relationship and just like, I don't know, your your first book came out in 2012. Yeah, 2012. Yeah you how has this journey been like changing for you because it's I mean again just thinking of knowing you over the years like this past year seems like it's been like the craziest year of your life it genuinely has been honestly like uh and there have been some crazy years in my life but yeah yeah, it's I look I I think the thing I always say is when you're sitting down at, at a at a table and you're writing that first novel you have no idea where it may go and you kind of have to be prepared for it to go nowhere. Yeah. And you kind of, you know, the, one of the great wars of art is to make art when nobody is looking and nobody cares. And I try to emphasize this because I feel like people put their work out there so early now uh, in, you know, and, and I know there's a value to that, but I also think artists don't get a chance to keep work to themselves for a time. So a lot of voices get in our heads early in the process now. Um, but yeah, I had no idea I was ever going to end up here. And, and to be totally honest, I don't, I'm still sort of trying to figure out the territory. Like we're supposed to start shooting the Netflix series in, uh, I guess less than two months now. Wow. Uh, in Budapest and there's still, oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> it's really cool, but it's also like, is this real? Is this really <laughs> happening? There's a part of, I, I'm such a disaster artist that I constantly think that, that, that it's all a great hoax. And so I'm sort of waiting for the bottom to fall out, but you know, it is, a, it is a very different, I think 
you know, if you have aspiring writers listening, I think the life of a writer changes a lot once you get published. And then it seems to change every, with every single book. And it's very hard to anticipate and sort of preserve your creative process when all of that is happening. I actually remember you recently talking about that at, uh, around San Diego Comic-Con. You did, um, you've been very active on social media. You do a lot of great Instagram stories. And, um, and frankly, I love them because you're very vulnerable, which I think is a necessary thing in art. And I think that people need to show their real selves. And I love that you do that. But I, it, it really had me thinking just about, you know, you were just saying that there's these pros and cons to everything. And it's like, I get to do all these wonderful things. But then it's like, where do I find the writing time now, too? So it's like, how yeah. do I balance those elements in my life? And, you know, it's constantly that evolution. That, yeah, I mean, it's, life was just crazy. I can't, I can't even fathom because you have two books, technically three, if you count the journal, come out this year. Oh, is that true? Is that right? Yes, it's true. Okay. I, I wrote, I made a point because I was really, I was curious if you did a book. So I have every book that I saw come up except like the little short stories. And yeah, you had uh, two and 17 and then three and 19 if you count Nice House, which is coming out. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as Instagram goes, there's, it's hard for me because you don't quite know what the line is between the personal and the professional. Nobody knows, right? Like we're all sort of, it's all wild west out there. (laughs) Um, but I do really hate the idea of only posting your highlight reel and only posting the beautiful meals and the beautiful travel and, Oh, look, a star review. Like that's all fantastic. But I think it's, it creates an unrealistic expectation. And it also means when you get, like, I hope that a lot of my followers who are writing books, cause I know a lot of them are, I hope they are going to sell those books yeah. and that they're going to be debut authors and that they're going to be in the game. And I don't, want them to arrive at that place and think, why is my experience not looking like, like the thing I was promised, you know, the the life I was promised, because I think that's so damaging. And why is my writing experience not this magical thing where I clock, you know, 6,000 words a day and, and I just feel great all the time. And why is my editorial letter so long? You know, I don't want I think we have a fundamental misunderstanding of the creative life in, in media and culture. And I think that that keeps people from, uh, especially the people who we most want to hear from, the people who are working that second job or who haven't been able to go to grad school or who are living in the margins. They're the people who um, I think are most damaged by these sort of unrealistic expectations. So I try to do my part, but there's also, you know, I'm a very private person. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, so it's a balance. But yeah, like I <laughs> I, you know, what's funny is I felt really nervous about not having a book out in uh, 20, was it 2017? 2018, it said. Based on the Goodreads, it, Wonder Woman and Language of Thorns was 2017. Yes, Language of Thorns was 2017. And then I was freaked out about, because in YA, it's like, you do a book a year or it's like you died. Like you, it's like you <laughs> vanished into a black hole. And oh, there's God. a, for all of us out there who are writing, um, I think there's this fear that, that you're going to be forgotten or that, um, that this dream job that you've been lucky enough to, to make your way in is going to be taken away. That said, I absolutely needed that year because I was working on two very long books, um, as well as the journal. So King of Scars and Ninth House are both pretty, you know, for me, I don't write, you know, thousand page tomes, but they're both, they both clock in at 
at, you know, over, I guess, 130, 140,000 words. And Ninth House is, has a tremendous amount of research in it yeah. and sort of had to be written in between writing other projects. So having that time was really necessary for me. And honestly, there's going to be a, a long break now because, because I'm involved in the show uh, and because, it, you know, it just eats up your time in ways you didn't anticipate. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I am keenly aware of how lucky I am and and I'm very (laughs) grateful for it. It's just a different set of challenges. And the learning curve is you're kind of learning on the job every day, which is barely treading uh, water, kind of like I'm here. Oh my God. How do I do all these things? It's interesting because you're saying in regards to publish or die, the feeling of that in YA. I mean, even if the Netflix stuff wasn't happening, doing Ninth House, publishing a an adult novel, your first adult novel, that's not a Grisha book. You've got all these new elements already that are kind of scary or exciting scary, however you want to define it. Yeah. I, I love that you're staying true to your craft, though, and also your vision of the stories you want to tell. Because, I mean, even though you're, you are doing a King of Cigars duology, there's another book that's going to come. Holy crap, we all hope so, because you left us on the biggest cliffhanger of <laughs> our freaking lives. I'm so sorry. But yeah, like I I think that being able to continue with your writing journey on your on your end and tell a story that, you know, you said has been cooking for since college, essentially, you know, and having the the mental freedom to give yourself that permission to do that, too, which is really cool. I mean, I think it's about having the right people in your corner, too, who are willing to take the risk with you. You know, this is a very different book for me. And it is not just, I think some people just are like, oh, it's adult. They'll, you know, it'll, there'll be a few more scary scenes or there'll be some sex. And I'm like, no, I went, I, this is a very dark story and is dealing with things that are happening right now, um, every day to women on campuses and, and that has been happening since I was an undergrad and before. Uh, and I wanted to deal with those things in a, in an adult way and in a, in a, in an honest way. And so I knew that I was going to, I wanted to write this story in this particular way, but it's, it meant that a lot of people had to make a leap with me. You know, it meant going to an adult imprint. It meant having a new editor. It meant my agent saying, you know, (laughs) yes, go and do this thing you care about, you know, instead of continuing to just write in this world that's been very safe and, um, that I've been lucky enough to continue Like writing Grisha verse novels has been wonderful for me and I, I hope to never stop doing it. But you know, it means having people who are backing you, who are willing to say, yeah, do it. This is what you wanted to do. Go, go and do it. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take this gamble with you. So I've been very lucky that way. Obviously the book has yet to come out, but just from mm-hmm. the buzz and the excitement of, of your fans who are very loyal, uh, just them taking that leap with you and being excited about it. I um, I was saying to Lee before we started recording that I am getting the book soon. I have yet to read it. So this is actually a weird new territory for me. I, it's almost like a non-negotiable rule for me to interview an author before I read the book because I want to be able to have the, the deeper conversations with them. I just don't have the book yet. So I'm like, well, we have enough to talk about. We've talked over the years about various things. So there's enough meat here. And I felt safe that it would be a good a quality interview, but you know, it's, it'll be fun to see this deeper, darker writing of yours. I hope so. It'll be really fun for those who are listening, who maybe don't know what ninth house is about. Like, how are you, what's like the elevator pitch? 
Um, Ninth House is a story of dark magic and murder set among the secret societies at Yale. And it's about a young woman named Alex Stern, who has a criminal past and has had a pretty hard road. And she, uh, because of particular abilities she has, she is basically given a free ride to Yale. And uh, the book is really all about her trying to navigate this world of privilege and power and dark magic. Um, I, I, for those of you who don't know, this is not really the elevator pitch. This is the podcast pitch. Um, For those of you who don't know, um, the societies are very real. There are eight, there are a bunch of secret societies at Yale, but the most famous ones are known as the ancient eight. And they're the eight most established societies at Yale. They've been around for a very long time and they have these incredible buildings around campus, um, that are essentially clubhouses, but that are called tombs. Um, because excluding one of the societies, they're all windowless. And, you know, when I was an undergrad, I was kind of obsessed with them. Uh, because if you are a fantasy reader or writer, we're kind of, this is our jam. Like this is, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, of course we want to know what's happening in there. And the idea that there's something mundane going on is just, no, there's something magical and mysterious, um, that we, (laughs) that we want access to. So for me, and, and these societies also have, um, like a, a ridiculous number of powerful alumni that have come out of them, presidents and uh, secretaries of state and Oscar winners and um, Broadway playwrights and just this ridiculous lineup of famous people and 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 powerful, influential people, hedge fund manage, managers and Wall Street players, you know, the people who, who make and break economies. And I thought, well, what if what if they weren't just old boy drinking clubs? What if these places were actually repositories of occult magic? And what if each society represented a different branch of this arcane magic? So that's really where the story began for me and and the world began for me. And um, honestly, the process of writing was really more about discovering Alex and discovering Alex's journey, um, which took me some unexpected places. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was an intense writing experience. But it's one that you've, you said you got the idea when you were in school, like you said, being obsessed with the ideas, which, yeah, hello, a meeting house with no windows, and there's like secret stuff going on, I would absolutely be like, <laughs> simultaneously freaked out and really curious. Yeah, this was, um, this was something that, like, you know, when I was that age, I wanted to be a novelist, but I also wasn't thinking, okay, well, this is a book idea. It was just one of those things that sort of caught in my consciousness and held. Mm -hmm. And then when I first, um, signed with Joe, when I I had submitted shadow and bone to her, I came off the slush pile. Like I had just submitted it blind with a query letter. And, um, when I signed with her, you know, one of the first things agents ask you is, you know, what else have you got? What other things would you like to write? Which is why I always tell people if that first novel doesn't sell, don't worry about it. Like that your second novel may sell or your third novel may sell. And the first question will be, what else have you got? And you're going to be like, guess what? I have all these other ideas. Yeah. Um, so I, this was one of the first ideas I pitched to her, but we knew it didn't fit into YA and we weren't sure where it did fit. And so it took a little time and it took me establishing myself so that I could enter the world of adult commercial fiction and, um, kind of making my bones, you know, to, to prove that, you know, that I was worth taking a shot on, uh, for this novel. And 
uh, and every, you know, few years I'd be like, Hey, what about, what about the secret society idea? What about ninth house? And we would, we would talk about it and we'd get excited about it. We even talked about doing it as a graphic novel and it would always get put to the side because I had other obligations to fulfill. And then finally I was on a writing retreat and I was supposed to be diving right into crooked kingdom but I had just finished tour for six of crows and six of crows was, had also been, you know, it had been a very challenging novel in terms of craft for me and had taken it's a lot. Complicated. It's yeah. complicated. It's, you know, multiple POVs and flashbacks and heists and a lot of things I had not ever done before. And so it had been a very challenging writing process. You know, we were kind of right up against deadline and trying to get it in on time and, Um, and I'm very, you know, every single draft I go through with a fine comb. And so, uh, and then I'd had a very long tour. If I remember right, that was the tour where I, I went, I went to multiple countries and I just hadn't slept in my own bed in a long time. And again, all good problems to have, but I was wiped out and I felt burned out and I wasn't ready to dig into Crooked Kingdom yet. And I thought, all right, I'm going to do something super irresponsible (laughs) and I'm going to take my first week of, of retreat and I'm going to just dig into my research and I'm going to start working on the proposal and I'm going to start writing this book. And, um, and I'm glad I did because then, you know, I, that was something to keep returning to instead of continuing to put it off. And eventually we were ready to pull the trigger. I remember Brandon Sanderson saying something about how having two completely different stories to kind of jump between it. it, It's like a a palate cleanser. Like it lets you have that time for stuff to go on the back burner. And like, I remember him being like, yeah, it's like one of the reasons he can do what he does is because of that. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I mean, Brandon Sanderson is a machine. He's a prolific, like crazy. Oh my gosh. I I don't know how he generates books so quickly. I, yeah, I, I definitely like having two projects because I always feel like better for me, if I'm really stuck on something better for me to switch gears and work on something else, work on a little pet project or a dream project than to spend my time like scrolling through Instagram. (laughs) Like, that's which I do too. I'm but, like, uh, yeah, cause none of us can relate to that. It's a much, I, <laughs> at the end of the day, even if I haven't made the progress I wanted to make on my primary project a, I at least feel better than if I had lost the day or lost a big chunk of the day to, to really not doing anything productive. Um, I feel mentally most well when I'm working, when I've, when I'm writing, even when the writing isn't going spectacularly, when I feel like I'm actually making steps forward, um, I, I just feel much more even keel. And I think that's, you know, in some ways it's the echo of, when I was in junior high, I was so miserable, like many people. I mean, junior high is garbage. Um, <laughs> but I was I was so deeply miserable. And my survival mechanism was writing, writing terribly. I mean, I wrote the stuff I wrote was just garbage. But um, I that was that was my stress relief was yeah. to write these basically like Dragonlance Redux stories, these self-insert <laughs> stories, and um, and and poetry, and anything. I just wrote copiously, 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 and so it has been the times in my life when I have not been writing in any way have been the the least stable and the least joyful. 
And I think that's why this time in my life is on the one hand, fantastic and amazing. And oh my God, we might make a show and oh my God, I have my first adult book coming out and oh my God, like it's so good. But I don't have this one thing that has grounded me and kept me feeling even keel. And so I'm trying to adjust to that and find ways to carve out that time. Do you, you made a journal. Do you journal yourself like, like free write nonfiction clearing thoughts kind of journaling? I do. I don't do it regularly. It's something I've tried to be, especially when one of the reasons we decided to do the journal was because um, when I was dealing with a kind of particularly stressful time, I went back to journaling, which was something I used to do when I was younger all of the time. Um, I kept diaries from the time I was probably... I don't know, eight years old. They're, they're hilarious and disturbing. Like they're, they're they're like entire like sections devoted to me basically raiding my friends and enemies. Like it's so grotesque. It's a perfect picture of what it is to be a girl at age 10, you know? Uh, but when I, you know, like I, I journaled all through college and when I started um, working full time, I didn't journal as much. So, and when I started writing full time, it was like that muscle was completely fatigued. So I started yeah. doing some morning journaling, and I found it really therapeutic and helpful. And also takes the pressure off. That's not for anybody but you. Like that's this yeah. sort of little gift that has nothing to do with story and has nothing to do with ambition and is really just about you and the page. And that is, there's something very pure about that. And so when we created the severed moon, I wanted to sort of create a journal that had these prompts and some of them are like very deep and very intense, but some of them are really playful. Um, because I think losing that sense of play is really dangerous and, and it's, I think a good thing for a creative mind or even a mind that, that maybe, maybe you're not a writer, but you're a reader or, um, or you just love music or whatever it is. Like you, I think we never want to lose that sense of the playful and inventive. Um, and especially if we're trying to sit down and, and do this thing every morning or every evening. Yeah, I, the reason I ask is I'm I've been doing morning pages artist way Julia Cameron style since 2003 so off and on I mean I've been relatively consistent since I first read that book and back then and, and it is you know I honestly think it's one of the constants in my life that's helped me as an artist as a professional oh. artist because you have to have a like you said a safe space to be vulnerable for yourself and work through it. And, you know, even if the non, or even if the fiction writing is therapeutic for you, I just was curious if, if that was another aspect of your, you know, yeah. you know, what's funny is that most artists I know, even the really wild ones who are sort of like the artists in movies who are like, I drink and I, <laughs> and I, and I love women. And I you know, wear 18 like, scarves at one time. <laughs> yeah. Where you're like, are you, didn't I see you on an episode of Law and Order? You yeah. know, like, like, <laughs> like even they, for all of this kind of wild bohemian life that they live, are um, are creatures of habit. We love routine. We love our own spaces, um, and we thrive in in that because that allows us to go places mentally um, that we can't go if if there's chaos 
in the rest of our lives. Um, so yeah, I think that's a sort of interesting contrast. Well, and I wonder if it's, if that part of that ritual is, you know, using again, a Julia Cameron references, you know, you have a creative well and it's, it's finite and you have to refill it. And so there are these routines and rituals that I think help us to clear our heads and have that escapism or have that, um, ability to, refill that well so we can then pour it out where it needs to go which yeah makes a lot of sense and you you know that's actually another note I have here is about you know one of the biggest things I see you being visible about is your self-care online you're always like your baths and your cool salts that you're doing and it's actually really interesting because I love baths but I only take them in winter um that was a it's a habit I got in when I lived overseas there it was I lived in Africa and they didn't have indoor heating and so in the winter when it actually got cold the houses were chilly and for me who's used to having heat I was like miserable so I had to take hot baths like every day and that's where I got in the habit but I don't really use accessories <laughs> I just like a hot bath you know <laughs> I don't know, like, and I love seeing your, like, your soaps and your cool, like, colored things. And it's really fun for me to see, because it's not something that I personally connect with. And I find it really interesting. I love that you have that, you know, self care ritual of, of like, your... I think that we all crave ritual, especially we, most of us live in a very sort of modern secular way. And so everybody's looking for ritual. And I also think like, as a woman with a disability, as a fat woman, I think that there's, you know, being connected to your body is really important. Um, you know, taking care of your body and not being mad at it, not being ashamed of it and being thankful for it. And putting lotion on being like, okay, these are my thighs, you know, this is my butt. These did you just my- slap your legs? I did. I heard it. I heard it. These are my thighs. But like, I just slapped mine thighs. too. <laughs> you know, having, being in touch with that and saying like, okay, my body is causing me pain today. And I, and, and I, you know, I, I live in almost constant pain. So being able to say, all right, like, I'm still going to take care of you and I'm still going to value you and value what you can do for me. And I'm going to, I'm going to make this beautiful bath. Like I, I love the feeling of being submerged in water and I love, um, I love having flowers around me and candles around me. And this is not an unusual, unusual thing, you know, and I think sometimes women, are sort of mocked for this, for these kind of like, and I think it, I remember there used to be this commercial when I was a kid for Calgon and it would be this like mom who was really harried and she'd had a tough day. And then she was Calgon, take me away. And she'd be in her bathtub with her candles. And this became a kind of joke. And I think that there's still this kind of like, Oh, these women with their crystals and their candles. And to me, it's, you know, to unabashedly enjoy these things is almost an act of defiance. And to say, I'm taking this time. I am, I am cool with my body. I am treating myself. I am treating my body with kindness is, is really in a world that wants you to hate yourself is just, it's a fucking rebellion. So I'm all for it. And I'm always like, and people will send me, you know, recommendations for things that they're liking and little businesses that are almost always run by women, um, that make these wonderful products. So I really enjoy it. This is actually a perfect spot to stick in the convo we started with. <laughs> we were recording like two minutes in. She's like, are we recording? Cause this is gold. I'm like, yep. And I, we'll, I'll, I'll stick it in right here because it was, it's about, you know, body positivity and loving yourself and just the importance of, of valuing that. <laughs> 
How was your video thing yesterday? Oh, it was fine. It's, you know, they don't really, it's not really in my skill set, you know, so it's always a little stressful, but the more of them I do, the better them I get. So it really wasn't bad. And we finished way ahead of schedule. Um, and honestly, it was a really good distraction. Um, yeah to have front and, and I know everybody on that crew. I've worked with all of them before. Um, so it was like a safe up. space. Yeah, exactly. It was like a nice, and they're so also nice, you know, there's no feeling and I feel incredibly awkward in front of the camera. So, um, being with people you've worked with before and who you feel comfortable yeah. with is kind of like, it's really a gift. You've met me, you know what I'm like in front of a camera. I'm like, what do I do with my hands? Um, so, well, I, I, you know, you had a bird, which is fun, but yeah, I, I, I get it <laughs> with the video. I'm actually struggling with that myself. I'm trying to do more YouTube like book reviews and stuff, but I'm, you know, the heaviest I've ever been. I'm having hormone problems. So my hair is thinning and I'm just like, oh, I don't, uh, you know, but then I'm also like, yeah, but it's good for me to show my face because this is who I am. So, you know, it's important to, to put ourselves out there like that, even though it's scary as hell sometimes. I know it's scary and people on the internet are horrible. Oh God. That's, that's part of it too. I'm like, I think I'm just at the mental block where I'm like, I know I'm going to get trolls and that's just how life is. But you don't push yourself to do something that doesn't feel right for you at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you follow body posse Panda. Or I love her. Yeah. Kenzie Brenna. Julie Murphy, like I've, you know, everybody is sort of at, and, and this is true for me too. We're all at different places in sort of our journey of like being body neutral and getting to a place of just being like, of rejecting, like you are, we are constantly bombarded by bullshit culture. So yeah, no, I get it. So do it, do what you need to do for you, you know? Yeah. Well, and this is, and this is kind of, actually, this is obviously different because you were talking about Venice with and like you're traveling with your um your issues with but you're struggling with but like I'm with my weight it's like I barely fit on a plane but I'm still going I'm going to Cyprus and Greece for five weeks at the end of this month and I'm like I don't care if I can't walk the steps I'm gonna just do them slow because I don't want to not have this experience you know what I mean I missed out on I have missed out on a lot of my life because I you know, I've, I've talked a little bit on Twitter about the fact that, you know, when I was in college, I was start, I starved myself down to a size two and, um, and I have never felt worse about myself in my life. I, my anxiety was literally so intense that I sometimes missed classes and, uh, because I could not leave my room, could not leave my dorm room. And, I think that we create this narrative in our head where if we can just get to a certain size or a certain weight or make our hair look a certain way or get our skin to clear up or get rid of our cellulite, you know, that we will somehow then be allowed to live the life that everybody else lives. And it is such a scam. It is a scam that is perpetrated by companies who want us who do not care about our suffering and just want us to buy products that do not work yeah, and go on diet that do yep. not work. And I can vouch for the fact that yes, it was easier to find clothes. That is a hundred percent true. Beyond that, my life was no fucking different when I was that yeah. size. I was just, I felt just as shitty about myself yeah. and it really, you know, and I still, you know, it is a daily struggle. We all know this, but I, yeah, you is. know, being an author, quite frankly, and going on tour and being photographed was a tremendous gift that this career gave me that I didn't anticipate. 
because it meant that I had to make peace with the fact that I was not going to look the same, the way that I had been taught successful and beautiful women looked. And guess what? Readers do not give a damn. No. Didn't stop being the bestseller list. Nothing got in my way except my own anxiety. And the more we can be visible succeeding, the more younger women and young men will understand that that is a false model that has been created. It is a lie that is being sold to us. Yeah, it's... And now I'll get off my soapbox. No, it's, it's, a, it's a... Well, and, you know, one of the questions I actually have for you is about uh, your transparency on online um, about just be about expressing these things. And I love that you are being more vulnerable in that realm as well, because it's the, showing the realistic part of life. And like you said, there, you know, we all have these facets and that just because you have these markers that perhaps other people see as like, if I ever sell a book or if I ever hit list or if I ever, then my life will be perfect. And yes, but that might not be the case or it might be the case, but it, either way, your life still goes on, like you're saying. And on the flip side of that, you know, not having that XYZ, however you define perfect, hasn't prevented you from living your dreams either. So it's just, that makes a lot wow. of sense. It's, you know, I, I, I am just turned 39 and I'm just like, I'm too old for this shit. Like I can't, I can't, you know, you know I, my mom is 78 and she, she had me later in life and, um, she is strong as you all get at, right. This woman was an attorney. She went back to school after she had me. Wow. Um, and we moved in with her parents so that she could do it. She is now physically probably the strongest she's ever been in her life. She swims a mile every morning. I couldn't swim a mile. I can barely like, wow. Uh, right. Okay. She like goes to the Y and swims her mile. Um, you know, and she's still, can I wear this top? Do my under, my upper arms look bad? Oh, is this made with butter? And I thought, Jesus, like at what age do we just get to live and have dessert and have a good time? And the answer is any damn age we choose, we just have to fight for it. We have to choose. Yep. I hope you're enjoying this interview with Lee. I, like I said, we went, we, we go deep, we went real and it was a really good, vulnerable, honest conversation about what it's like. So, um, about, uh, you know, about some things we're struggling with in our lives. So I really hope you're enjoying it. Again, this is just a little reminder that I have finally launched a Patreon for the podcast. It's Ink Feather Books and it is, um, to help support the podcast that I, so I can keep bringing great content to you guys. I love interviewing authors, um, but I definitely need to start compensating for some of my time because it takes a lot of time. I have been editing this particular podcast for about eight hours today. It's taken me, that's how long it takes. Um, I'm just trying to, you know, do the best I can with it. So anything helps, please consider checking out the Patreon and seeing if there's any tiers that appeal to you. All right, now back to the interview going back to being an artist and I, I say professional artist. I, I I'm used to saying that term. It's again, that's maybe one of my issues. It's like validating myself. It's like, well, I do this full time. Mm -hmm. It's like what? Cause people who don't aren't real artists, like makes no sense, but like people who are creative and everybody's creative. But when you have your creative journey, you know, finding those ways to, like you said, honor yourself and, and give yourself the love and, you know, 
joy that you need to do the art that you need to do because it's all connected. You know, it's definitely all connected. We live in a world that does not, I guess I'd say a few things. One, no, not everybody is creative. Okay. We are the weirdos, mister. Like the fact is that a lot of people don't understand creativity or respect creativity. And what they especially don't respect is the idea of being aspiring, being an aspiring artist. And you'll see this in the way that people talk about art. If you say that you're a photographer, oh, you know, who have you photographed? Where would I have seen your work? You know, if you're a, if you're an actor, have you been in anything? Have you been in, oh, oh, you're just doing theater? Oh, well, I'm sure you'll get, I'm sure you get a pilot at some point. You know, if you're a writer, have you been published? Oh yeah. Well, you know, have you, are you a bestseller? Oh yeah. Well, have you gotten an adaptation? (laughs) People are looking for markers of success because that culturally is what we understand as opposed to saying, what are your favorite subjects to photograph? What is your dream role? Or, you know, what's your favorite kind of story to tell? Or what was your favorite story when you were a kid? There are very different ways to talk about creativity that we don't embrace. And I think that the more we do that, the better off we are. I guess I'm thinking about what what I mean when I say everyone's creative. I guess I think about it in the sense of like vulnerability, I guess, and like being able to tap into your emotions and express that in a way that feels good to you. Um, And I I guess I associate that with creativity. I mean, I guess that isn't necessarily, you know, synonymous, but I don't know. I guess I just think of, I, I would agree that the definition of creativity and how we are perceived is its own <laughs> bubble of. I, mean, I think everybody would be happier stuff. if they had like an opportunity in their lives to journal or make music or, yeah. you know, find some kind of self-expression that way. But again, that's not something that people feel comfortable yes. carving out. And I almost think it's gendered. Like, um, like I think that, you know, women can find things like scrapbooking, which again, people then deride because it's something that women like to get together to do. Um, and any opportunity to tear down ladies, they will take, um, but like <laughs> scrapbooking or, um, even things now like, you know, making a beautiful dish on Instagram or Pinterest where they're finding ways to express things. I think that we, yes, there's a negative side to this idea of perfection, but there's a positive side, which is that, you know, people who may be in their ordinary lives don't get to do that stuff, then find outlets there. I think that those things are a lot less accessible to men, um, because there's a sort of gendered way of thinking yeah. about sitting in this quiet space and, and doing something and, and taking the risk and emotionally connecting out there. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the vulnerability again, that that's the word that keeps coming into my head because, I, I think that, you know, the the need for art, the need for expression is because you have this thing in you that you want to, you know, connect with another human being, another soul that in through the, through this thing that you're creating, that you're bringing to life. And so you're right, that is a, by nature, a more vulnerable, because it, you know, it's, it's a part of you, it's you're birthing yeah. something from your soul. So that makes a lot of sense. I agree with that. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just think about these these things as a, as a, as a creative and just the ways to, you know, again, balance, balance your life and make sure that you can do your art the way you need to do it and still have the life that you want and finding all those parts, you know, yeah. I guess maybe I, I, that's why I have that note here about you being transparent on social media a bit more is because I know that you're on the private side of a person and the fact that you are willing to 
be real with people. I mean, even taking the step when, you know, writing Kaz and talking about your, you needing a cane and having to express that part of yourself too is vulnerable because that's, uh, you know, being yourself and putting out and saying, hey, I'm not this, as you said, however we define, you know, perfect person or how society defines perfection or whatever, you know, and, and just but being real. And, and I think that's the stuff that makes makes the good art. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I can say that, you know, I don't want to give this idea that I've somehow conquered this stuff. You know, when I was at Comic Con this last year, we were going out to a, a party on Thursday or Friday night, and I decided not to bring my cane. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to be in cars, and, you know, we'll, we're, we have two stops, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have to walk. And I didn't want to, and I told myself that it was because. I was going to, you know, oh, if I want to eat or I want to drink, it's going to be hard to have my cane with me. And I, you know, can't bring my purse. And, you know, I had sort of told myself that this was, but I think it was also like, I, I felt self-conscious about uh, walking around with my cane, despite the fact that I've, you know, been a cane user now for, gosh, going on four years. And boy, did I pay for it because we couldn't get to where we were going Mm. uh, and had to walk multiple blocks to get there. And then we couldn't get a car to go to the next stop. And I was so beaten down by the end of that night and I paid for it for a week after, you know, (laughs) when I came home, I was like, hello, Kane, I love you. I'll never leave you again. (laughs) Um, But I really, to pretend that I don't still have, I I just don't want to pretend that I don't still have a lot of this internalized struggle um, because it's, you know, when you grow up in culture, you absorb stuff and you, you absorb a lot. And it's, it's still a fight sometimes to remember that this is not something that, that I have to fight against. This is actually something I can embrace. Well, and, and again, it's just, uh, it's, it's that breaking of this idea of perfection, however we define that. So even if it's like the perfect life of being vulnerable, like even going back to that, like you're saying, it's not, it's just living as a, as a person. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I think we're all looking for things that are real. I think the, the people who are, you know, if you're, I don't know, creatives to people who connect with stories, people who connect with art, you know, it's, it's, it's that soul connection there. Seeing people be real and vulnerable. I, I think it is something that we can enjoy and relate to in some ways. And, you know, cause it, again, it reminds us of the humanity of, of life. <laughs> I know that's mm. a kind of a deep thing to say, but I don't know. It's just, I, I enjoy, like I had, um, Susan Dennard's another one who's very visible. She's, um, always very open about things on, she actually did a whole interesting um, newsletter series about breaking down her finances as a quote unquote, she's like, I'm a bit New York Times bestseller from this series, but like, what does that actually look like to again for writers and to say, Hey, it's not like I'm like, you know, Scrooge McDuck here, swimming in gold. This is how the numbers work and what the reality is. And I'm feeling blessed, but it's also like you're saying the expectations of writers, going into oh, things and and I think that's so ballsy. I think Suze is really forthright about her personal struggles, yeah. her professional Agreed. struggles. Um, and she's a really good writer too. So I think that there's, there's never this kind of, you know, I, I should be getting mine, you know, from it. It's a very, that kind of candor I think is super rare in our business because I think we've sort of been taught to fake it till we make it. So yeah, I have, yeah. I have nothing but respect for that. Yeah. I just, I'm just thinking about, 
you know, the visibility of people and seeing, you know, based on who I'm following online and the different creatives on their journeys. So yeah, I guess back to back to work here. What's um what's going on with the Netflix stuff? You said you're going overseas soon and that it's kind of crazy. I, I think it's the coolest thing ever that this is happening because <laughs> that this is a, a, you know, people love this world that you've created and that, you know, you get to play in it more. I think I read on, I don't know if it was EW, you did an interview saying that like, it's like Six of Crows book zero. So it's like prequel stuff kind of setting up those characters yeah. in that world. And yeah, I can't, I, I'm not free to say a lot, but what I can tell people, and I know people are freaked out. They're freaked out by the idea of merging these two stories. Um, and look, I can't pretend that there isn't some anxiety in me because you don't know where you're going to end up. I can tell you that the starting place, the, you know, the initial scripts and uh, the way the approach to this is awesome and works beautifully and gives respect to both um, stories. And I, I, again, I know people are like, but how, and I really can't talk about it, but, um, there's a lot of fun stuff in these scripts. There's some really gratifying stuff with the crows that you get to see them early on. That's I think quite fun. Um, and, uh, and I'm, you know, we've done some, some of our leads are now cast, which that's I'm so very great. excited about. Um, and, you know, if, if all goes according to, I, it's been hard for me because, you know, at different stages, I've realized that how big the machine is behind the show and how many people are involved. And, um, you know, I am an executive producer, but that does not mean that I have veto power over anything. I don't, um, I can advocate for things that I feel are important. I can, you know, throw up red flags when I feel that something is going wrong, Um, and you know, that's part of why I've tried to stay involved and, and be reading scripts and be watching casting tapes and, um, watch, you know, taking a look at early, um, visuals, but it's been incredibly thrilling. Like, yes, there's an anxiety to it, but it's so exciting to walk into a room and see, you know, that the, um, production designer has put up all these incredible renderings of, of the little palace. And, you know, here's where this ambush scene is going to take place and having our stunt coordinators send videos of ideas for the way that certain effects are going to work and the way certain fight scenes are going to work. I, I can't explain how bizarre and wonderful those moments are. That's when you stop stressing out and you just have this moment of complete wonder and awe that, that, that it's even happening. It's really something. I just had a moment that never really sunk in. I'm just, I love elemental magic. It's my absolute favorite kind of magic to read about. And just the thought, like, I'm like, Oh, I get to see all that. We get to see the elemental magic happening on yeah. in front of us. We're going to get to see yeah. Inferni's throwing fire around. It's going to be so cool. Yeah. Like that's going to be, and really- you're going to get to see Volcra and the fold. <sighs> and then we- and seeing people, you know, seeing designs for the sand skiffs that cross through them and, and getting to see the costume designs is really, is extraordinary. It's a, and it, again, it has this feeling of unreality to it. Like, are we really, like, I guess we're really doing this. Like, I, I have that thought like several times a week, I guess for, I guess this is happening. <laughs> You're, it's going to be until you sit down to watch it on Netflix when it's like, it's here, you know. But- I kind of feel like maybe when I'm on set, like maybe if I'm standing there, watching, maybe not, maybe I'll just be like, it's all a big hallucination. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, 
Is there a particular character you're most excited to see brought to life? I mean, I think fan favorites are the Darkling, because who doesn't love the Darkling? He's the best, but he's the worst. But he's... <laughs> um, I, I'm i most excited to see the characters interact. And I can say that in watching some of the, you know, we, we call people back to, to do what's called a chemistry read. Mm-hmm. And that, for me is so thrilling. And I will say too, there have been moments where I will watch, you know, you're watching videos and you're sort of trying to keep an open mind about your response to characters. And every so often I will just have a chill go down my spine because I feel like I'm seeing somebody, there's the eerie sense that that person really is the character. And it's a, it's an incredibly bizarre and magical thing. But yeah, getting to see, like getting to see a scene between Inej and Jesper, getting to see a scene between Alina and Mal, um, is just bizarre. It's so cool. Like it's so, and because you're seeing like little interactions, you know, an exchange of a glance or, um, you know, Jesper having this wonderful smile on his face. It's just this, is very cool uh, and magical. Um, so yeah, even the audition process has been very strange and wonderful. Um, but I don't know. I think in some ways I just, I, everything, I want to see everything brought to life. I want to see the little palace. I want to see that. I remember being asked um, when, I, when Shadow and Bone first came out, like, you know, which, if you could, if you could go to, if you could visit anywhere, or if you could see, you know, if there was an adaptation, what would you most like to see? And my answer was always the winter fate, that huge party that happens in shadow and bone. And that party is happening in the script. So I'm like, ah, like it's really, it's actually happening. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. I don't know. I, I, I agree. The chemistry, I mean, that's what sells, that's my favorite part of the book. The vi- I mean, obviously the elemental magic's wonderful and the visuals are wonderful that you're, you know, describing, but it's the interactions of the characters that are, that make that connection. Man, I reread, um, I haven't read the first trilogy probably since it, right after it came out, the last one came out. And I reread them again before this interview just to get myself back in the original Grisha world. And holy crap, I forgot how much good shit is in those books. And I was just like, oh, man, you. like and this, the character interactions, all the little subtle, like nuances of things. I'll be, it'll be really fun to see how it's brought to life visually for, for fans too. I'm sure like just to see, yeah, I think the costumes will be really neat to see too. Like the different way that they're, I think it's going to be really fun and surprising for a lot of readers because I think the way the two storylines crisscross and interact is really fun. And I think that the writer's room really came at this from a position of, um, you know, I think sometimes in adaptation there's contempt for the original work and that's not because of the work. It's because there's this idea that somehow it has to be fixed, you know, and this happens a lot to Hmm. women. And this happens a lot to YA in particular, where people will approach very good stories and look, um, you know, Percy Jackson, great example, right? Yeah. Here's this fantastic series that people adore and people get their hands on it. And then, and, and they're in, for some reason they think, you know, that they have to take this thing that clearly works and that people respond to a hundred percent. Yep. And they have to alter it in this, in this fundamental way. And in the process, they lose the the heart of it, the core of it that makes it work. And on, and, 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 and beyond the kind of like, 
you know, talking about soul or heart or character, like it, in a fundamental way, those are, those books are built very well. Cassie's books, um, the mortal instruments, yeah. another great example. These are books that, um, the, the, the plot of them works very well. Like that's a, a narratively, um, very tightly constructed series. Um, and yet people feel like they have to go in there and just start tearing stuff up. Yeah. And I think that, uh, there's a lot of changes that were made in, uh, you know, it's, this is not a, a page for page adaptation for shadow and bone, but I think there was a lot of respect for what, what worked and what they responded to as readers. And I, that is really gratifying. So again, I have no idea what the final product will be like because there are so many cooks in this kitchen, but at least, you know, I feel like we, we, we began, uh, and are now in a very good, very positive place. Good. That's like, feels like it's to you, the creator of these worlds, at least it's keeping the spirit of the world in the story. That's good. Yeah. And Eric Heiser, our showrunner is not just, you know, a lot of people talk the talk in Hollywood, but this is a guy who said, you know, this is not just, we're not just going to cast diversely. We're going to make sure that our writer's room reflects that. And it takes somebody who's in a position of power saying, we are going to build this, you know, to, to really reflect what our morals are and our, our values are going into this show. That is a, that is a personal and professional risk that he took and that I think paid off so wonderfully because our writer's room is so kick-ass. Amazing. I can't wait to keep following along with what happens. What is next on the writing block? I'm assuming you're working on, well, I'm working on a sequel to King of Scars right now. Um, and I'm working on a little sort of secret project that is connected to, um, to the Grisha verse. Um, but I won't start. I think I'm, I'm going to do a writing retreat at the end of, um, beginning of September. And I'm going to take a week then to, um, at least outline the second ninth house book. So I won't be starting from, from nowhere when that begins. Um, yeah, that's what's going on writing wise. So again, a lot of irons in your fire. If we're going to use yes. analogies. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. You always seem to have stuff going on. Um, I'm glad we were able to finally, you know, lock this down. It's just fun me to, too. to chat and no. catch up. There's something really nice about getting to talk to somebody who, who I've, you know, we've known each other for so long. Like, you know, that's, we've, we've, we've known each other at many different stages of our journey. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. And I'm glad, I'm glad we took the time. Yeah. I was thinking back to, I think the first interview we did was after siege and storm and it was so long i had to break it up it was another audio interview we talked for we talked for like three or four hours i seriously think we did i had to break it up into like a few episodes of like of an interview because it was just like blah, 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 blah. and actually i i didn't tell you this when i d- decided to kind of shift my interviews to straight audio and make this podcast I was like, well, I want to at least get it going, but I don't have anyone on the books yet. And I went back and the first episode is the throwback interview that you and Marissa Meyer and I did, uh, which was so much. We did a a lobby at Comic-Con, right? (laughs) Yeah, the three of us were like hunched over my laptop 
talking. And I picked that interview specifically because it's still one of my favorite interviews I've ever done because you guys were genuine fans of each other's series. And I was asking questions and then you were like, well, your characters did this. And she was like, but wait a minute, but your characters did this. And you guys were just sort of going back and forth. And it was, it's such a fun interview because, you know, you both are talking about craft and characters and stuff, but you genuinely enjoyed each other's books too. So it was, I was like, this is a perfect one to start with. So yeah, it was just like, oh my gosh, I forgot. You know, it was just fun to kind of pull back through that. So, but yeah, thanks Lee. This was great. And I, you know, can't wait to see what happens the rest of the year and what happens with the series. And, and, you know, as you hopefully keep moving on and forward and thank you. Thank you. Lauren. And if, if any of your listeners want to come see me, I will be touring for ninth house. Um, the book comes out October 8th and, um, I really love meeting readers. So, um, please come on out and say hello. And, um, yeah, I, I should be posting tour dates in the near future. And I will, Actually, I've been thinking while we were talking, I'm going to do a little international giveaway. I still have some swag. Oh my gosh, that's great. I still have some swag from uh, the calendar with your photo on it. I have some bookmarks and some postcards. So I'll I'll put that up with this and, you know, so people can, because that's a fun thing to kind of be able to send out to people that it's a good, easy swag for people to use in their books. So. International giveaways always make me happy. I know. But I'm actually going to mention this in case you have international listeners. The reason publishers can't, can't like my U.S. publisher can't do an international giveaway is because at, legally they cannot do it. Like they the literally, right. yep. it is against the law for them to do international giveaways. And I know people hate that, but um, that's why we always try to do some kind of pre-order that, um, that, that international readers can get their hands on. And I always try to do some kind of giveaway. Um, I wish it were different. I really do. Yeah. I actually didn't realize to the degree of that until it was like, I think last year I was working with a publisher to do a, a digital audio book giveaway. And I was thinking, perfect. It's digital. It's international. And they were like, we'll have to let you know. I have to see what countries legally we can do this with. And it was like, like Australia, it was very specific. It was like the UK, Australia, France, and North America or something like that. It was very, and I found that really interesting. So yeah, it's, but like stuff like that. And, and at least on my end, I mean, it's, it's, if it's just me sending out a book, it's, it is very expensive, unfortunately, to ship a book internationally. It's like sometimes 10, 20, $30, depending on where it's going. So we do, every time we do international, I'm like, all right, here we go. I know exactly. I'm like, Oh, it won't be that bad. And I'm like, yep, it was that bad. And it sucks. So because I, I don't, I feel bad, but that's what I'm saying. I have paper swag. I have, you know, some cool stuff and I'll, I'll go through and see and I put it, I'll put it out there and we can spread the word when this goes, but uh, thanks for listening guys and come back next time. We will have some really other amazing interviews going on. Uh, And thanks again for listening and bye.